and has performed his teaching. If you know the truth, the truth will do what? Yeah. And in every generation, every period of history, there's been heretics. Those who would go against what God has declared. And it is the church's position to teach truth and make truth clear. Now that doesn't mean we don't have our own problems in that. Because every denomination picks out its main core positions. And that's all nice. It kind of likes to allow them to measure themselves to uh, look at themselves and say, am I doing what we believe God has called us to do? But none of us, if we're going to stand true of being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, will miss teaching. Teaching the word of God, teaching the gospel. That is preeminent among church. The basic duty of the church is to teach the people of God is to teach the people. Not hammer the people, but to teach them. There's something about when true teaching goes forth, the Holy Spirit does the convicting. It's not force-fed. It doesn't have to be dogmatic. It just has to be stated. And allow the Holy Spirit then to do his work in the life of the believer. Because the gospel is powerful. The word of God is powerful. You and I have to come back to that position. That is not me or you who wins a soul, but that the Holy Spirit convicts that person of their need of Christ. We're just witnesses. We're just witnesses. And that teaching and that witness goes from generation to generation. From one generation to another generation. It goes. Understanding there is only one church, yet many denominations, but only one church that really serves the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that even within the denominations there will be churches that are true to the Lord and those that may not be. And sometimes we get caught up with our denomination rather than getting caught up with Jesus. Now, Jesus said he would build his church. And he's doing that. Even though everything statistically saying the church in America is falling off. In other places, the church is growing leaps and bounds. In other places of the world, people are excited about God's word and churches are growing. But in America, we've been so saturated with gospel that somehow we have come to a place we just take it for granted. Maybe we do need to do as one says, 
In light of science, let's begin anew with a noble lie. And I've read part of this to you before. And the whole issue is to tell people a lie. In uh, the Big New Journal this past week, there was an article that Christianity is dying in the United States. Well, that's just in the United States. But part of that comes from this professor. Rue is 46, a professor of religion and philosophy at Luther College in Iowa. Presented this thesis at a synopsis of the American Association for Advancement of Science in Washington. A church-going but skeptical Lutheran, Rue suggests that we start all over and create a new myth, a noble lie. So his position already is that he believes that the Bible is a what? It's a myth, a lie, but yet a faithful Lutheran. A noble lie that squares with what is known scientifically, something that is convincing, because it has to be convincing, though it may not be factual. Perhaps, he said in an interview, it is possible to rework, transpose, and rephrase the Judeo-Christian tradition to make it possible again or seemingly true or acceptable. And what we look for today in church life is this one thing, is it acceptable to me? Is it acceptable to me? It's not an issue if it's true or not. It's not an issue of what am I really being taught. The issue is, is it acceptable to me? Is it something that I enjoy? Good sound teaching sometimes is not enjoyable. The truth sometimes is not always what? Enjoyable. But it's truth. This young lady here who authored this book. She's an amazing young lady. I know her. She lives here in Akron. Says, when I began to discover who God really was and that he actually had a plan for our lives, I was blown away. Because I had struggled to find the meaning of life for years. I knew there had to be more than just waking up every day just to do the same thing over and over again. For the first time, I actually meditated on the fact that God was the creator of everything and that he knew me and he knew I would be exactly where I was right then. I also joined a woman's Bible study at my son's daycare. I found myself surrounded by Christian women I listened to, how they talked about God and how he worked in their life. It was a Bible study that actually took place in this church. And the women 
and just loved her and ministered to her. And this book is nothing but her witnessing about how God changed her life. If we are the ch- if we are his children, we have to try to think like him. We have to try to think like him. And love like him. He wants the best outcome for us. So we should speak life. Catch this now. That we should speak life in those around us. That we speak life to those around us. I kind of think she picked that up in that woman's Bible study. Those other godly women speaking into her life. Those other individuals playing a part. But I read that and, and I read this to maybe ask the question. What would it be like if this church was not here? What might it be like if this church was not here? We're not the biggest church. We're not the best church. We're not the most educated church. We're not this, that, but I do believe this. We are a church who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Period. And Jesus said he would build his church. Boy, isn't that something? That he was going to build his church. And how was he going to do that? Because he would build his church. And he is doing it. Even though in one sense the church is not growing does not mean he is not building his church. And sometimes for you and I, we need to understand this. In time of persecution of the church, the church grows. In time of hardship upon the church, the church comes together. In time of being denied what you think is your rights, the church begins to seek the face of Jesus Christ for that which God alone is able to give it and not man. The church. Go to Matthew 16 with me, 13 through 18. I want you to pick up just a little bit here of what Jesus says. Because this is not talking about just one church or or, or that denomination, or that denomination, or this over here, it is talking about God building his church. Sometimes we use the word invisible church. There is no such thing as invisible other than there's a church over there in Russia that we don't see. But it is a local church that is functioning. There's that church in China that is functioning. 
It may not be sitting in a building like ours. It may not have a temple on top of it. It may not have the cross out in front. But inside, there is the real church of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever they're meeting. It is the church. The word church simply means the called out ones. The called out one. If you take the word church in English and Scottish and part of German, you wind up with belonging to Christ. Is the meaning of church. Belonging to Christ. And that's who the church really does belong to. The Lord Jesus Christ. So pick up with me in Matthew chapter 10 and 16. I'm sorry, Matthew 16. And picking up with that verse 13. And he reads, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and we're going to look at the word disciple just for a little bit, because I want you to understand something. Those disciples did not know what they were going to learn from Jesus. And they became disciples before they knew anything. (laughs) They had no knowledge. They had no theological knowledge. They had no understanding, per se, other than what they knew from what they heard from the Pharisees or the Sadducees or what they may have heard from going to the synagogue. But in reality, they had no deep teaching. And I want you to understand something. Jesus came to teach. Jesus came to teach. And therefore, he says, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Isn't that some question to ask even in today's? Who is Jesus Christ? Who are the people out here saying Jesus Christ is? And you'll get all kind of answers. Some will say he's a great prophet. Islam does not deny him from being a great prophet. But he is not the Son of God. He is not God. But he is a great prophet. Others will not deny his wisdom. That's why in philosophy, the Bible is one of the books that they also will look at in philosophy because it is a great philosophical book. And you find it a psychology book because many of them will study it. Because it deals with the mind and the hearts of man. But Jesus come to teach something totally different than what was being taught in his day. Now that's something to really grasp and understand. And sometimes to really understand that, you have to look at what was the Pharisees teaching? What were the Sadducees teaching? What was this little group over here teaching? You got to look at the different groups of that day and see what were they teaching? And then look back at what Jesus was teaching and understand what he was teaching was different than what they were teaching. And that his teaching was helping man to understand God and their purpose. Now there's no book that will totally explain who God is. There's no words that can totally explain who God is. 
So God is not so much trying to explain himself here as he is trying to show us how he expects us to live holy before him. And what it takes for us to become his children. Men don't see themselves as children of Satan and children of God. How man explains that is simply this. We're all the children of God. No, we are all the creation of God, but we are not all the children of God. And that's why scripture says you've been adopted. You've been adopted into the family of God. Because you were somebody else's child before you became a child of God and into the family of God. You were somebody else's child. And he simply says, who do men say that I am? Now, follow closely what is said in this reply in verse 14. They reply, Some say John the Baptist. Wait a minute. Now how can they be John the Baptist? Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, you saw both individuals. Many of you even witnessed when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. So are we talking about that he has the same spirit as John the Baptist? That he's similar to John the Baptist? And he goes on and he says, others say Elijah, the great prophet. So he's like this great prophet, Elijah, who's going to raise the dead, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. He's one who's going to stand against all the false prophets as Elijah did. And still others, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who came along to share truth with us. And when we were hearing people say, God will never destroy his temple, God will never destroy his temple, and God does, and God takes his people in captivity. But Jeremiah suffered for what he was saying and telling them the truth. So they give him that title there's, yes, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But think about what they did not say he was. They did not say he was the Son of God. They did not say he was the Messiah. They did not say that he was the Savior. Listen to what people say today Jesus is. You may hear everything other than he's my savior. He's my redeemer. He's my Lord. He's my sanctifier. You may hear many other things other than what he truly is. He's my teacher. And I sit in the morning at his feet and I learn from him. I sit in the evening and I open his word and I learn from him. He's my teacher. And he goes on and he says, 
but what about you? Look where he moved from. He moved from the position of asking people, asking his disciples, what do people say? And he makes it very personal now. How about you? You've told me what other people say about me. Now, in reality, what are you saying about me? How do you define Christ in your life? How do you define Jesus in your own life? What do you call him in your life? Is he your savior or is he just a great prophet? Is he your redeemer or he's just a wise man? Is he the one who rescues you from sin or is he just a good man? That can't do much, but he's good. He can give you wisdom and some knowledge. But he can't do much personally in your life. How do you describe him? How do you see him? What titles or names do you put on him? Because he says, what do you say? But what about you, he asks. What do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. Understand that principle right there. Man cannot reveal who Jesus Christ really is. We can teach, we can declare it, but we can't show it. God may meet you alongside your bed. He may meet you in the kitchen. He may meet you in your car. He may meet you somewhere and reveal himself to you. But man cannot convince you that Jesus Christ is God. Man is called to teach, yes. And we teach truth. And God's truth will not come back unto him void because his word go forth. It will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in that person's life. If that person hears and willing to open up to him, God will reveal himself. God will speak. One of the things that, boy, the author of this book the first time she ever heard God speak, the word was obey. Obey. And from that point on, her whole life then had to be adjusted in the area of learning to obey God. And she writes this little section, I have to fight my way back, I have to fight my way back, because it is a fight to obey God. It's not easy. Let's understand that. To obey God is not always easy because it goes against our human nature. It goes against our way of thinking. And she has this chapter in which she says, I got to fight my way back. I got to fight my way back. I'm doing something and God says, obey me, obey me. And I got to fight to do that. And in reality, we all are doing that. We're struggling and fighting against the principalities of darkness in order to obey God. And he, he goes on. 
and he allows him to know. But by my Father in heaven, you've been given this knowledge. Understand one thing about who's ever teaching. If it's of God, it is not the teacher that is revealing. It is the Holy Spirit who is revealing. It is God that somehow says to you, grab hold of this. Sink your teeth into this. Make this a principle of your life. This is true. It's something inside the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit that you grab hold of it. And he goes on and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, not Peter, but on this rock, he says, I will build my church. Speaking of himself, not Peter, but he says on this rock, referring back to himself in the Greek, I will build my church. Because he knew Peter couldn't do it. No man could do it. He himself is building his church. Even though it looks like the church is fading away, And understand what Timothy says. There will be a great falling away from the things of God. And if you go check the history of England, Germany, France, the Dutch, the Scandinavians, and see how they fell away from God. And at one time they were all on fire. And yet, many of them in England and Germany and France are atheists. Look at the Russian church. Many of the Russians are atheists. But the richness of his culture that declares Jesus Christ. Look at Turkey. Boy, in the Greek Orthodox Church. And the richness of Christ that is there. And yet many have fallen away and now following Islam. Don't wake up one morning in America and you will discover, because it's the fastest growing religion in America, Islam. And don't be surprised one time when the call for prayer goes out in your neighborhood and you don't show up, that you be locked up. Wouldn't it be great if those who didn't come to church today, we could gather them up and lock them up? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But the thing is this here. God said in these last days there would be a great falling away. That doesn't mean his church isn't growing. His church is exactly where it wants it to be. And he says, I will build my church. I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Even when it looks like the church is not winning, the church is winning. The church is winning. Even when it doesn't look like it. The church goal is to make Jesus known. 
while the denomination is to make the denomination known. And this is a very fine line sometimes that men have to distinguish which one is the primary. And the primary is that Jesus Christ be known, not my denomination, not this or not that, but that Christ be known. If a person is truly saved, they are part of the church. If you are truly saved, now, we don't know who is saved or not saved. Everyone in this place today will almost say, I'm saved. But then when you look at the person's life, that adds a little bit more information. And even looking at that, we can't really tell. Because there's not an instantaneous sometime change. Sometimes there's years in there. So we can't really tell. But there are some things that should take place that we should know. Go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 simply says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, boy, the old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. But what's not stated in that scripture is this, that as you are taught, the old things pass away. As you are taught, you are beginning to see new things take place. It's in the teaching. And the church is responsible for that teaching that the old things may what? Pass away. But in the teaching, you develop a different mind, a new mindset that you see things now differently and new things begin to happen in your life because of the knowledge that you have now. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 2. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 14. Now just follow me down a little bit. Keep reminding them. Reminding is simply a repetition. What's taking place? I'm teaching you the same thing, what? Over and over and over. How many times does it take you to teach your children that your children catch it? <laughs> and you can see them practicing it and living it. Now, there's a difference between transmitting information, and that's all it is. But then when that information becomes reality and practice in their life, you're able to see it. And he says, remind them again and again and again. Because as people, we need to be reminded. We constantly have to be retaught, retaught, retaught. And somebody will say, I've heard that before. I've heard it before. A lot of people have heard John 3.16. They've even seen John 3.16 held up at the football game. They've seen John 3.16 along the highway. But has it sunk down into the heart? Is it something that they really understand? Different between just knowing up here and then living it out in here. And he says, remind them of these things. Warn them before God again 
against quarreling about words. We don't quarrel about words, but we need to define words. That when you are speaking to somebody and you're witnessing to somebody, you want to define words to help them to better understand sometimes. Because the whole process, our Christian jargon, sometimes leaves people in the wind trying to guess what are we trying to say. Same thing with you. If you've been out of the world for a good while and you haven't been in the nightclubs and you haven't been running with this and running with that, their language is different. And when they say things, you may not even understand what they're talking about. That's like my grandson and granddaughter. They say things sometimes and I have to ask them, what do you mean by that? Because I don't understand the word that they're using. And it's the same in Christianity sometimes. We're trying to explain the gospel to someone of how God is so loving our own lives that people can't understand that. And it's hard for them to receive it. And he says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. We're not here to quarrel about words. We are here to define words and to show what words really mean. One of the most confusing words that we deal with right now with our young men and our young women is the word love. To really define love. That love is not a sex act. But to understand the real meaning of love. Of someone really caring for you. Someone who really has your best interest. Someone who will treat you better than they treat themselves. How do we define love? For a young generation today that love is stamped with sex all over it and is defined in that manner. We don't quarrel about words, but we need to define our words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen if we're just arguing about a word, but not defining a word. And look what he says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of God. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. If you're going to correctly handle God's word, what do you have to do? Work at it. If you're not willing to work at it, to search it out, to labor over it, to read, continue to read. Don't read one commentary. Read two or three commentaries. Read the commentary from this group or that group and this group. You're reading to search it out, to have deeper understanding. You're working at it. And most of us in Christianity today, and one of the reasons that we are failing, is because the Christians who ought to be working at it for deeper understanding are not working at it. That they might rightly divine 
correctly understand God's word. When you correctly understand God's word, your walk changes. When you correctly understand God's word, your mouth changes. Now this is the amazing thing. When you correctly understand God's word, your friends even change. And the word of God has a way of flushing all that that is within you that is wrong. It flushes it out. It cleanses it. I had a young couple about a month and a half ago now and um, they met me in the back back here after church and they said, Pastor Brown, uh, we'd like for you to counsel us and we'd like to get married here. And I looked at the young man. I said, is that what you desire? He didn't say a word. She's doing all the speaking. And I said, I'm hard on men. And we're going to look at scripture of what God has ordained you to be and what God wants you to be in this marriage. I haven't heard nothing else back from him. <laughs> because we need to understand correctly who we are in the sight of God. And when you get into the word and you begin to study it, and you work at it, you really do discover who you are and what God desires you to be. That's two different people. But he shows you both. He shows you who you really are, but yet he shows you what he desires you to become. He does that. And he goes on here, and he says, Boy, avoid godless chatter. Avoid a bunch of foolish talk. Sometimes too much foolish talk leads people the wrong way. It harms people. If you can't speak things that are edifying, things that are building people up, things that encourage people, things that challenges individuals' lives, then you need to be quiet and retrain your mouth. For that when you speak, you're speaking words of encouragement. You're speaking words because life is serious that are important for that person to hear. And you don't have to say, uh, I think you need to hear this. You learn how to say it in a way that people hear you, but their life is enriched over what you have said. It becomes something challenging to them. Not just a, <laughs> no. Sometime in our speaking, we joke too much. And that's what that verse is talking about. That when we speak, we need to speak in such a way that we're speaking life into the person. We're speaking life into the person. We're helping the person to understand where they are, where they can be. And he says it in a bit, avoid godless chatter or jousting or joking or constantly always clowning around. Get serious about life because life is serious. 
And he says, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Why? Because you're not speaking that which is godly. You're not speaking scripture. You're not speaking that which will help grow a person up. And he says, boy, if you keep this stuff going, you speak in a sense of ungodliness rather than encouraging and growing the person up. And he said, their teaching will spread like gangrene. My wife and I sometimes we have discussion and I think I understand. And we disagree sometimes, but we love each other. We haven't found nothing that we disagree on that separates us. And one thing she would tell me, make it simple. Make it simple. Make it simple. If you really study the word of God, it is not simple. The Christian life, understand this, is not simple. And guess what? A lot of people want the Christian life to be simple and easy. How does Christian life going to be simple and easy when you got an adversary constantly after you? When you got somebody trying to beat you up and deceive you and lie to you? That's not a simple life. And I understand what she's saying. Make it simple that the people understand it. She was one of my first teachers. Because, boy, at the Greek class, and I thought I had some knowledge. Boy, I go to church where I was pastoring at down south, and I started telling them about the Greek. And she gave me some wisdom one day. She said, they're not interested in your Greek. (laughs) They're interested in what God wants them to know about the scripture. Not your Greek. That does not mean I do not look at it to understand that I can explain it. But I don't belabor it. And he goes on and he says, their teaching will spread like gangrene among them, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. When you hear somebody always judging, always doing, they're not where at, in the truth. When they're in the truth and they're in studying, they're in their learning, guess what they're sharing with you? What they've learned. What they've studied. And it becomes a joyful conversation over what we're sharing with each other. And he says, they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, here's the good part. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are what? Are his. In reality, it's simply this. God really knows everyone in this room today that are saved, but he also knows the ones who are not. I can't tell you who is saved and who isn't saved. But God knows if you're really saved or not. God knows if you're really his or not. Man can't make that judgment. I can hear what you say. I can believe what you say. But believing what you say 
don't always make it so. And he says, God knoweth those that are his. God knows those who will really support his church. God knows the true believer. God knows that one who hearts follows after him and desires him. God knows. Don't allow yourself to be tricked by the Satan by thinking you know that you saved because you said some little word. And this is one of the biggest mistakes the church has made. And I'm just going to let it come on out here. I'm saved because I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ back in 1938. The evidence of your salvation is how you're living and walking today. The word salvation is a very right now word. Are you saved right now? Are you saved in this moment? Not talking about two hours ago, five hours ago. Are you saved right now? Are you living a saved life right now? That's why the word salvation is a continuous type word that you are constantly being saved. You are constantly being delivered. You are constantly being rescued from the things of Satan. Keep reminding them. Correctly handle the word of truth. And understand the Lord knows those that are his. The church has a name for all this sometime, which we call discipleship. The purpose of the church is to teach or to disciple. It's called disciple-making classes. It's called Sunday school, Bible classes. You can put all these different titles on, and sometimes those different titles mean different things to us. But what's happening is this here. A disciple is being built. It's somebody who wants to learn. That's a disciple. That they want to learn. And it is the church's position to build people up. To build people up because they want to learn. Jesus didn't come to make us saved. If he came to just make us saved, he wouldn't have to teach one thing. Boom, you're saved. Boom, you're saved. Boom, you're saved. Boom, you're saved. I just made you saved no matter what. But Jesus came to teach us that we may have a freedom of choice of what we are going to believe and follow. A disciple is a follower. And you have to decide if you're really going to follow Jesus Christ or the philosophy of the world. If you follow the philosophy of the world, then you're following the teaching of Jesus. Are you? What did I just say? If you follow the philosophy of the world, you're following the teachings of Jesus. Is that wrong? That's wrong. 
Sometimes I'm checking to see if y'all awake. Because <laughs> that's a wrong statement. See, if you follow the teachings of the world, you're following the teachings of the God of this world. You're following the teachings of Satan. And you need to understand whose teaching you are following. Whose philosophy you're following. Because whichever you are following, you are a disciple of that teaching. He didn't come to make us saved. He offers salvation. Church does not make one saved. You can come in church and do all your penance, all the things you think you need to do, attend all the Bible studies, attend this and attend that. That won't make you saved. Some people think they're saved because they're the armor bearer to a pastor. Now Paul had a good saying for them pastors. And back in Isaiah, he had a good saying. You better watch them dogs. Now, whoever think that pastors would be called dogs? The church does not make one saved. The church offers salvation through knowledge and the teaching of Jesus Christ. How? Just like Jesus, by his teaching. The teaching of the gospel is what makes a disciple. Nowhere can you go or should be able to go and be taught Christ and the Christ life than the church of Jesus Christ. The church has the responsibility of teaching the saints of God how to live the Christian life. How to obey what Christ has taught. To challenge you to exercise your faith in the scriptures. That you are not walking by sight, but you're walking by faith of the scriptures that God has declared. Disciple is a learner. The word is only found in the gospel and Acts. And disciples is always a pupil of someone. As I was reading this book about the single parent and the parent raising two kids, I was sitting and I I read it all in about two days, more than three, and, and the thing is this here. As I was reading it, I was her disciple. I was learning from her and how God had interacted in her life. So when I read Mother Teresa, I'm learning from Mother Teresa of a deep love for God and the caring of people. When I'm reading about Martha Luther, I'm learning about justification and how God justifies us. When you read different individuals and you're reading how God interacted in their life, at that moment you're like a disciple learning of them, learning from them. Because we don't know everything. So we're learning and we become that disciple of that person in a sense while we're in that process of learning 
And why do I want to learn? Because I want to learn about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not from my own just narrow perspective, but I want to see Him in a much larger scale. And not fix Him into my little shoebox of thinking. Go to Matthew 10, 24. Matthew chapter 10 and 24. Because, see, we are disciples. And we are his disciples. And we're going to go back to Matthew 28 and 1 and 2. Because I want to put it all in there. But in Matthew 10, 24, look what he says. A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. That when you sit and you are being taught, don't think that you know more than your teacher. But understand this. Know how to strain it through your little strainer. Because you are knowledgeable of God's scripture. You know what to grab hold of. You know what to let go on through. Everybody who writes or everybody who speaks is not a good person to listen to, but you learn from them. Now, the school I went to, I did not have one African-American professor. And I learned theology and pastoral skills basically from a Caucasian perspective. And I remember one time I got into class and the professor was teaching one thing and I just raised my hands and I asked him, would you apply that to an African American church? And he was stuck. Because at that moment I was also pastoring in an African American church. And there's certain things sometimes that are different. The truth never changes. The method may change. The truth itself never changes. But the method and how that truth is delivered may change. And the question is, the learner is always asking questions also. To further his understanding. Without asking questions, you don't get the understanding. Without asking the question, you're not going to learn. My granddaughter, she asked me a wonderful question, a great question. She asked me this question, and she was serious. And I'm so happy that she did, because it helped me to understand her a little bit more. She asked me this question. Grandpa, what happened if Christianity isn't true? That was a dynamic question. Because I put that in, that might be part of her hang-up. That she may not at this point really understand the real truth of the gospel. And I shared with her, you put it alongside any other religion. And you start asking about Christ. A Savior 
and look at the historical flow of Christianity and see Christianity flowing out of Judaism. And history will tell you that Islam started years past Christianity and Judaism. Hinduism came in in the time of Daniel them. And many of the Chinese deities and teachings came in in the time of Daniel. Well, what was all before then? Judaism. And Christianity flows out of what? Judaism. And it's so important to see Jesus Christ as a Jew and then flowing out of Judaism into his teaching. And he says there again in that verse 24, boy, a student is not above his teacher, but that does not mean the student does not strive to be like the teacher. Let's run just a little bit quicker. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. And we'll run back to Matthew 28. But look at Luke 6 and verse 40. He says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his what? His teacher. Tracy, when you was in law school, did you know as much as your teacher or your professor? But have you become like them? Yeah. Yeah. The student grows up to be like them. When you was in that school of engineering or whatever, were you as smart as your professors? No. <laughs> but have you become like them? Amen. Whereas, I mean, freshman year. Yeah. I mean, they were one of the smartest people in the class. Yeah. And at one point, they're the smartest. But as you keep growing, you can surpass an old teaching or knowledge. Who is to say that one of you are not a better teacher than I am? if you allow the Holy Spirit to teach through you. And that does not mean you have to have the title reverend or pastor. You're a better teacher than I am. You can surpass your teacher at times if you're willing to put the work in. Learning is not easy. It's work. It's work. Let's close out with Matthew 28. Because look how Jesus expected this church to grow and expand. Because it grows in this manner. And this should be the heartbeat of every church. That it be a teaching church. Why? God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. 
My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge of who I am and who they are. My people perish. And then pick up with me in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go. Go why? I have all authority. Don't worry about earthly authority. I have all authority. I will pick you up. I'll put you down. I'll set you in positions. I'll do this. I'll do that. Promotion comes from God if we understand that. And he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make what? You can't make somebody learn from you. A disciple has to be somebody who desires to learn. The reason the church is empty of men because men do not desire how to be godly men, how to be godly fathers, how to be men who control their area of influence because God has made you rulers over all things, but you have given that up for a lie of Satan. You are more than just a baby maker. Men are more than that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, 20 tells us how this is really going to be done. And teach them. Teach them. When you teach and someone listens, you have a disciple. When you teach and someone learns from you, you have a disciple. You can't make them be a disciple. But in your teaching, if they desire to sit at your feet, if they desire to sit in your class, if they desire, they will learn. This young woman who wrote this book came into a Bible study and she learned. And it transformed their life. When you teach the word of God, it will transform the life of the hearer. And he says, teach them to obey everything. It's not if you want to obey it. It's not if it's pleasing to you that you obey it. And as she said, the first thing she ever heard God speak, one word she heard, obey. Obey. Teach them to obey. To obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. The first place was in Antioch, Acts 11 tells us, when the disciples were called Christians. Understand the meaning of that. Christians are disciples. Christians are learners. Christians are both Christians, followers of Christ, but also learners of Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness. And as one comes to minister to us in music, would you open our hearts to the song? Would you help us to hear your words? Would you wrap your arms around us? Would you, O oh God, do something that only you can do in every individual's life that is sitting under the sound of my voice? Would you reveal yourself? Would you show yourself? Would you speak into their heart, into their life? And would you grant life? And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.